listening to the Cream of the Crop with Cat Cream. Only on 107.9 Cam Glen Radio. Meow. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Cat Gibson right here on Cam Glen Radio with Cat's Cream. While I'm away, I decided that what we would put together is a collection of some of my very best bits. This is some of the interviews and the features that I did during the course of the year. So let's kick off with this. One of my biggest successes I felt this year was getting in touch with The Nurture, a multicultural centre that set up on Cambus Lang Main Street, to talk to me about their life as refugees living in Scotland. I'm passionate about hearing all about the stories about other people who live in our country and our society so that we can better learn how to help integrate them. So this is Aisa Buttle from the Nurture Centre telling us all about her life. So tell me a little bit about the Nurture. What is the Nurture? So yes, the Nurture is the Nurture Society located in Canvas Lang. It's located in the old Canvas Lang Church actually. Uh, and a lot of people in the community come to us and, and tell us how they've had so much history in that church and and how they were either married there or their parents got married in the church. So whenever we have any projects with the community, they come and tell us their memories like that. So the nurture was founded in 2005, and it was founded as a non-profit educational institution. It's a charity as well, so it was funded by Turkish and Scottish people, and of course, their friends. What we aim is to achieve mutual understanding in the community and and promote harmonious interaction between people of different cultural backgrounds. Obviously, Scotland is a big country and there's a lot of immigrants arriving to Scotland, not only immigrants, but there's a lot of different communities in Scotland, whether it be uh, religious communities or, or communities in other cities and, and other parts of Scotland. So what we aim to do is bring these different communities together and achieve a sort of harmonious interaction. We want to achieve an atmosphere where we can talk about problems that we have in our community, where we can achieve dialogue and and talk about the problems and put forward some solutions for them. But of course, all that is possible through some sort of interaction and some sort of understanding for each other. So... What we try to do, as I said, is bring these people together, make them understand each other. For example, um, one Scottish person that lives in Canvas Lang might not know a lot about refugees because Canvas Lang is not that central in Glasgow, but also because they've lived in Canvas Lang their whole lives and, and they haven't interacted with refugees. But when we bring these people together, don't know each other, don't have any idea about each other, they only have some ideas, they, they know what the immigrant knows what Glasgow region people are like and, and, and the person from Canvas Lang might know about immigrants from, from the news. But when we bring these people together and we get them to interact, we get them to talk, they will realise that, oh, there's actually not much difference between us. We are different, yes, mm-hmm. but we also have a lot of similarities and we both have a lot to add to the community and we're both so important to the community. Mm-hmm. It's interesting when you're talking about immigrants coming into the country because of course Scotland as a whole has always had a lot of immigrants coming to the country and a lot of migration lots of people have moved 
from Scotland, maybe over to Australia or Canada, America, that sort of thing. So there's always been a sort of flux, if you like, in, in, in the community anyway. But how, how did you come to Scotland? Um, I came to Scotland four years ago as a political refugee from Turkey. The nurture for me since I came, at first I first went in and I started mentoring program where I was getting mentored uh, by the volunteers in the nurture and, and I was attending their events. As I was attending their, like, stars, their Christmas dinners, their community events, mm-hmm. and then I got involved with them, so did my father and my family. Now, <laughs> we're just part of them, you know, we're volunteers. Uh, my father is a manager now, you know. Excellent. But, and, and there's a lot of Turkish, uh, Turkish refugees in, in, in the nurture as well, who are very, very welcoming and understanding. Not only Turkish refugees, but also Kurdish refugees, Arab refugees, people from Kazakhstan, uh, people from Turkmenistan, Azerbaijan, from so many people, not only over the Middle East, but also Asia. And when we united with these people in the Kam- in, in Kamatlang, in Nurture, people that are different, like us, different to the country, but also similar, just like everyone in the country, we, we got to achieve this sort of dialogue, or this, this sort of collective work, uh, collective uh, environment. It's very lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, I have been volunteering in the nurture for three years now, and and this year is the year where I'm sorry, seriously uh, putting a lot of work into the nurture, doing a lot of volunteering. But before that, I would uh, attend events and sometimes help with them. And tell me about the bake sale that happened last uh, in February for the earthquake. Yeah. In February, we had a bake sale for the earthquake where we were where we sent the funds we collected from bake sales to, to the people in Turkey and Syria. But we have a lot of people from different backgrounds. So we have we had very lovely ladies there, uh, cooking, baking, Turkish flatbread, but also other sweets, uh, other snacks as well. Actually, the flatbread, it was made, the dough was made there in front of the eyes of everyone attending, um, and then it was just cooked in front of their eyes. It was very lovely. Money was raised for the people who were affected by the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. Yeah. And what's your experience been like living in Canvas Lang in Rutherglen? Do you find uh, people welcoming? I, I think I do find people welcoming. I think... What makes the canvas line, what makes nurture the nurture is the people of canvas line and, uh, and rudder glen, the people that come in and, and help us and the people that came in when we were collecting, uh, materials essential for Turkey and, and Syria, the people that came in and donated those things and came to hug us and, and they were just in solidarity with us, telling us to be strong, sharing our pain with us, grieving with us. They are those people who walk through the canvas line and radical, and they're the ones that actually make the nurture who we are. And and living there, especially living in the area whilst volunteering in the nurture, not only seeing the people, but seeing what the people do for the community, I felt very welcomed. I felt very sort of cherished <laughs> as, as, a, as a person. I do feel like part of the community. Good. Oh, I'm so pleased to hear you say that. Did you speak English before you came to the, to Scotland? And how did you find the Scottish accent? <laughs> when 
Before I came to Scotland, I didn't know English, but it was quite basic. So I came and uh, I went into high school uh, and I did my higher English. And that's where I sort of uh, expanded my vocabulary. But when I, when I first arrived, uh, I thought people were either talking in some sort of French or <laughs> some sort of different language. But I think um, the more you sort of hear it and listen to it, you suddenly get used to it. And now I think I do also have a slight Scottish accent, I think. <laughs> have you got a favourite Scottish word yet? Well, I the first one I learned is we okay. and, and also like I is very normal I I yes I think I can you do that I yeah <laughs> I yeah I get I. that totally that's great okay well that's great thank you so much for that um superb
that was Isa Boutal of The Nurture talking to us all about what The Nurture does as part of a multicultural organisation in the heart of Cambus Lang and Rutherglen. We also then heard from Morgan Way, a newish band to myself. I'd heard them a couple of years ago and that was their brand new track called Back to Zero. During lockdown and beyond, I had really got into walking and was walking, trying to do a thousand miles in a year. And this involved me going round lots of different walks in the local area, but also going further afield. And I did a number of walks through Glasgow Green. This brought me into connection with somebody called Hugh Robertson, who's got a statue in Glasgow Green. And I have to be honest, I hadn't really heard of him. But he'd written this book called Rambles Around Glasgow. And it's really funny how this book has sort of come through various different interviews because I've read this book about different connections I've been able to get with other people. So this is a book about Hugh Robertson who basically spent every sort of spare minute he had walking round about Glasgow and the surrounding areas. Casey Mardassi was the author who basically collated the edition and put in the footnotes as to where Hugh had been walking. And it's this book that then goes on to formulate some of the research work that Sally Magnuson did for her book, Music in the Dark, that we'll hear about later on in the show. But here is Casey Mordassi telling us all about the rambles around Glasgow. Now, I have got a very special guest in the studio with me today. I have got Casey Mordassi, who's going to be talking to us all about the book that she has been editing about Hugh McDonald's Rambles Around Glasgow. Is that right? right? Yep. Excellent. Why don't you tell me a little bit about... I mean, I discovered Hugh in lockdown, as I think maybe some people did when we were go, all encouraged to go out on our daily walks and... I had signed up for one of these walks and we went to Glasgow Green and I heard about Hugh McDonald. But before that, I don't think I'd ever heard of who Hugh was or why he was a, a, a person of note, why there yeah. was a statue to him. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know about him either and I discovered him in a very similar way to you, Kat. Um, I was walking on Glasgow Green and I was doing research for another book, actually. And as I was walking out of Glasgow Green, I saw the plaque on the ground at one of the gates that says Hugh MacDonald's Rambles Around Glasgow was, you know, written about um, Glasgow Green and other places. And I took a wee note of it and I thought, oh, that could be useful for my book that I'm doing on Glasgow's history. And I looked it up and I started reading it and I was interested in, you know, reading out bridges, particularly because that's what my, my book was going to be on. But then I started reading it and it was really, really good. And I thought... Um, this needs to be available because it, it was on Google Books, you know, which is, I mean, it's available in a sense, but you can't pick it off a bookshelf. Mm-hmm. So I got to like Hugh just through hearing his voice and that um, through the book and through his rambles. And then I started editing it into like a proper new edition of a book. And then I started putting in notes. And this is where the rabbit hole started because he um, was writing contemporary um, articles for a magazine. Uh, for a newspaper, I beg your pardon, at the time. So he's mentioning all these things that are really current from the 1850s, which are not really current anymore. So I started to sort of explain who he's talking about and what he's talking about and ended up writing like 1,300 notes <laughs> on it. And after that, um, obviously, I had to research him as well and do an introduction about him and his life. And, I mean, he was a fascinating guy. Yeah. He started off in the textile industry as a child labourer, um, only went to school till he was about nine, and then he was into um, bleach fields doing cotton printing. 
yet despite that, he managed to educate himself, became a really big fan of poetry and literature and history and geography and basically everything. It puts you to shame when you read the book, how much he knows. And he's just such a likable man. He was really, really well liked at the time and then well remembered for Mm -hmm. decades. Mm -hmm. And there's still, I mean, you and I hadn't heard of him until recently, but there's still many people who will know Mm -hmm. who we're talking about because there are people who have read his book and Mm -hmm. have done the walks on Glasgow Green and other places. Yeah, because he was basically like the Tom Weir of his day or the Paul Merton of his day. He was going around and sort of describing what these places were like. And this was at the start of the trains, you know, and people getting time off maybe on Mm -hmm. a a Saturday or a Sunday. They got a day off and could maybe have some leisure time to go and explore other areas. The other thing that I found is, like you were saying, it's quite readable. I thought this might be quite dry (laughs) because it was old fashioned. Yeah. But it isn't, and I like the fact that he kept talking about things like, oh, here's a, you know, a bit of poetry from Alan Ramsey. And for people who don't know, Alan Ramsey's really a contemporary of Robert Burns. Mm-hmm. And they sort of follow on from each other. Yeah. And it's like, wow, this, <laughs> it's like all these different things. Like you were saying, it's basically like the Instagram of its day. <laughs> all the different links. Yeah, lots of different links. Um, although he never gave any references for his poetry. So that was one of the things that did my head in, trying to find... <laughs> what he's quoting all the time but then I think that is because people would have known the Mm -hmm. poems of the day he wouldn't have been quoting something that was obscure no because people did do poetry they did quote poetry to each other it was something that was sort of done a lot more of yeah definitely like we quote song lyrics to each other and Uh don't think anything of it and also he wouldn't have been looking these things up you know they're just coming off the top of his head these, uh, he might not poetry. necessarily have known what point he was <laughs> He might not from. have known. There's at least one bit where he says Alan Ramsey and it isn't, it's Burns or it's the other way around. There's one where I've had to put in the footnote he's not actually right when he says this is that uh, poet. But he's just remembering it, you know. Because yeah. he didn't have Google to go, go, go and fact check when <laughs> he was writing Unfortunately not. Uh, the other thing I was uh, I was interesting about, did you do the walks? Did you go and, and, and start discovering these places? Um, I've done little bits. I have not done... I mean, there's like 21 walks in this book and I haven't done them all. Some of them are really, really far. I mean, they go as far as Strathblane to mm-hmm. the north, right up mm-hmm. to Lennox Town and down to Eaglesham in the south. And yeah, it's like 15 miles a day. It's, it's <laughs> long. It's not good for a wee walk. No, it's here. not a wee walk. You would need all day. Sometimes it's a 30-mile round trip. Um, so no, I didn't do most of them. I Obviously, I did, you know, the green um, and walked along the river and there's a couple of bits where I've had to research where I just could not find anything on the internet or in books and one of those was Cathkin where there's this basalt structure like the Giant's Causeway that's Uh mentioned and I you know I'm Google mapsing it and I'm trying to look at Google World I can't find it so eventually I just went out to Cathkin looked around and around asked everybody people who'd been there for 20 years 30 years no sign of it apart from lots of basalt chippings. So ah. my conclusion was... It's think, been taken away. I think it's been, it's taken been away. used but for something else. If anyone can correct me, and there is still like a giant's causeway in Cathkin, if they can point me to it, I would love to see it. Absolutely, yeah. And the other thing was, how did you get into writing? How did writing start for you? Well, I've always written, you know, it's one of those things, um, like since I was a child, I've written stories um, and then became more... Uh, dedicated to it I suppose after um, I was a missionary in Albania for a while and my mother pointed out that there was um, a book competition um, and I wanted to write a novel that would capture some of my experiences and some of the things I'd learnt about Albania so I wrote a novel called Leda and that was sort of my first 
proper venture into writing. And that was shortlisted for the prize. So that was encouraging. And after that, um, I didn't really look back. I've, you know, I've been doing short stories, novels, also history, quite a lot of history books, um, um, on St. Patrick, St. Augustine, Robin Hood. And mm-hmm. now this, obviously I haven't written this book, but I've written quite a lot of notes on yeah. this book, which again is history, because those are like my passions, writing and history. Mm-hmm. Fabulous. And you were saying about being a missionary in Albania. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was under the impression, probably, obviously very wrongly, that missionary work was something that was done in the 1800s and we didn't need missionary anymore. So how how did that come about? What was that sort of work entailing? Yeah, and. Um, there's all different kinds of missionary work. I mean, people think of going and telling people who've never heard about Jesus about Jesus, and that is some of it. But there's also youth work. Um, there's supporting people with extra needs. There's, um, I mean, at one point I worked in a video studio, and we were subtitling uh, Christian films into Albanian oh, right. and making uh, videos for missionary organisations or charities that were out there to give to their supporters. So, I mean, you would never imagine that working in a video studio is part of what a missionary does, but that's part of what I did. Yeah, yeah. so... Um, yeah, I just, suppose it has to change with the times. It does, And yeah. how you engage with the local population. Exactly, yeah. and what they need, yeah. And that's crucial as well, what the people need. Yeah. It's, uh, and when you were in Albania, what was that like? Was that just after, sort of, the, the wars and things that had ha- occurred there? Or? It was a bit later than that. So, I mean, I've heard stories about what it was like in the early 90s when it was really quite, yeah, quite basic straight after communism. But I was there in the uh, 2000s, so it wasn't as bad as that. It was still underdeveloped, and you would still see people, you know, travelling by horse and cart as well as cars. It was there was a popular song that was out at the time about Tirana called Tirana by West Side Family and they're talking about the contradictions about how you got people walking around with Rolexes and other people on donkeys oh gosh because yeah. that's what it was like at the time now it's you know it's more like your typical european country but mm-hmm. yeah it was a it was a really interesting combination of of the developed and the the really quite rural at mm-hmm. the time I think people would be amazed to discover that like missionary work is still happening yeah. and that it's had to adapt the way that it has because I think obviously you know growing up and, and when I was growing up going into Sunday school it was David Livingston and Mary <laughs> Slaser that was who your missionaries yeah. were and I don't think my, my sort of vision of missionary work had changed <laughs> until obviously I'd heard things like the dwelling place which is, is something mm-hmm. that happens um, I think it's in Kenya and you know, it's working with women in the area about uh-huh. trying to protect themselves from HIV and getting the girls educated mm-hmm. because there's still in some countries this, you can't get the girls educated. They're not supposed to be educated to the same level as the boys mm-hmm. and, and trying to sort of chip away at all these sort of old, what we consider old-fashioned views. Yeah, yeah, and I am... Um I lead the mission team in my church at the moment and we have missionaries doing different things and some of them, it's just not what you would imagine as a typical missionary. For instance, we support girls who are in Navigators, which is an organisation that works with students Mm -hmm. and has like one-to-ones with students and small groups to support them emotionally and spiritually uh, while they're at university. That's one of the things that that we support. When you were talking about the book uh, Rambles, obviously one of them is about going to the Cathkin Braes. One is about Cambus Lang and I was in particular, because I live in Cambus Lang and I had been to the park. Now, what I found really interesting is you're talking about the Preaching Braes Mm -hmm. and the Preaching Braes are in Cambus Lang Park. Yeah. 
But Campus Lang Park wasn't in creation at the time of the <laughs> no, preaching. No, no, it was it was just sort of a, a natural amphitheatre next to the burn. It was a sort of a ravine down to the burn that mm-hmm. formed a natural amphitheatre. So there was nothing really there at the time except a big space where you could preach to thousands of people, which mm-hmm. George Whitfield did, amongst others. Mm-hmm. Because I was actually involved with Campus Lang ha- Park having its 100-year celebration. Oh, right. And I'm thinking... <laughs> Well, it's been there for a hundred years and he's talking about it. it? But the park wasn't there when he was there. It was really, really strange. And the other thing was Gilbert Field Castle, Mm -hmm. which I I had, again, during lockdown, you know, one of these mad walks I had gone on and found Gilbert Field Castle. And I don't know why, but I had in my head that that might have been where Mary Queen of Scots had stopped during Langside and then Instagram was 1607. No, my dates are out. (laughs) Couldn't have been. And to to hear about this William Stewart, who was a poet that basically had this castle, and then there was this terrible accident, and that's basically why the castle went into to ruins. And when yeah. you can walk along and you can still see the castle, it's like, oh wow, it's still here. Look, yeah, it's lovely when there's remains that you can you can still see. Uh-huh. Yeah, what well, was things like that surprising? Did you find lots of things like that going? Oh, look at that! Wow, who knew that existed? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it was like the names of things. Um, were you know quite explanatory you'd look at something called like mansion house road and you're like it's because that's where the mansion house was obviously but you never even think about it in Mm -hmm. day-to-day life and yeah and also like glasgow's parks glasgow is very rich in parks but what i didn't realize was it's not like we knocked anything down to put that park in these are the estates of the big houses and in many cases the houses are still there and Mm -hmm. they've maybe been adapted into a museum or into private dwellings or flats but yeah these um you can read about him visiting people's estates uh, with you know where they've got their tenants and all their their arable land and whatever and now it's a park you know he's talking about queen's park and i can put i can picture that in my head but it wasn't it was private all this Mm -hmm. pollock park was private queen's park was private victoria park was private all these places were later converted out of um yeah private land and the you know farm cross just down the Mm -hmm. road of course was a huge big farm yeah Hence the reason yeah. farm cross, and I'm thinking when you're driving past Tesco, thinking that used to be a farm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it was all these sort of things. Incredible, absolutely incredible. What What's next for you? What are you writing next? Right, I need to get back to the thing that this distracted me from, <laughs> <laughs> which was I'm writing about, or at least I'm researching at the moment, uh, the history of Glasgow told through its bridges, because each of the bridges was built as Glasgow grew for different times. They were all built at different phases of Glasgow's history and for different reasons. And um, one of the little facts that I like to kind of see if people know is like where the first bridge was in Glasgow, because there's a clue, again, in the street names that you don't notice. Glasgow's first bridge was at the bottom of the Brigate. The bridge oh, gate is the case. way to the bridge. So Victoria Bridge, that was your original bridge. Wow, yeah. I was just thinking that there's the bridge right beside where I work, mm-hmm. which is probably the last bridge that got built, and it was built by the Danish engineers, etc. <laughs> and it, it's currently, at the moment, got these padlocks. Right. It's it's quite worrying. It's like it's <laughs> trying to, you know, Ponte Vecchio. Yes. Uh-huh. It's trying to emulate that, except in Glasgow. Yeah. So instead of, you know, Dimitri and... Katarina or whatever it's like Shug and <laughs> Agnes or Senga or things like this and there's loads of these these sort of things and you think you know in a beautiful sort of Mediterranean place I'm sure this is gorgeous <laughs> but here this just looks and of course they're plastic some of these are plastic as well and you just yeah. think that doesn't look as cute here as it does abroad. 
No, I, mean, I saw that in Paris. There's one next to, um, on the bridge over to the Ile de la Cité where the cathedral is, there's all these padlocks. And they have to remove them at night because otherwise it would get so heavy that it would damage the bridge. Yeah, that's it. It's going to cause an issue with the bridge. I don't think it's at that stage yet for, no. for the, the one that's nearest us. But yeah, it's quite interesting. That's fabulous. Thank you so much. And thank you for coming in to talk to me all about the book. So I get all of my guests to pick a track and you've been no exception so you decided to go for the sort of Glasgow band Delamitri yeah this is very 90s is, is this 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 year you know <laughs> uh, I wouldn't like to comment but yeah <laughs> I think I've chosen like the most modern of Delamitri songs to, to not be quite too historical this is rule to me here we go Something wrong and you can't put your finger on it Right then, roll to me And I don't think I have ever seen a soul so in despair So if you want to talk the night through, guess who will be there? So don't try to deny it, pretty baby, you've been down so can hardly see when the engine stall and it won't stop raining. It's the right time to roll to me. Another highlight had been our recent trip to Northumbria. We had a long weekend down in the area and this area had been recently highlighted by Robson's and Green's Weekends Adventures and it's a part of the coast that I absolutely love to visit. We drove along the M8 down the A1 but we saw very little due to the huge amount of sea, har and fog. We stopped for a brief pit stop and continued on to Mopith, which memory told me was a little market town. We parked up to explore the town. There's an impressive market square in the town hall opposite, created by the architect of Blenheim Palace, no less. And the stone clock tower had many uses over time. And there's a fountain dedicated to Mary Hulan, which is in the middle of a traffic island. We followed the main street down to the Chantry, which is now used as Mopus Museum and Bagpipe Museum. The Chantry had been the home to a famous botanist called William Turner, and Mopith itself has a rather dubious connection with Emily Davidson. You may remember her as the suffragette who was killed by the king's horse 
but in recent years it's been suggested that she didn't mean to kill herself, merely to plant a rosette on the horse going at speed during the race. Foolhardy, perhaps at best. When we got to the caravan park, it's situated just outside Newbiggin by the sea, which is famous for the statue of a couple by Sean Henry, erected in 2007. By all accounts, to the locals, this has got a bit of a marmite effect, but it's certainly striking and you do definitely notice it. Why don't we listen to some music from the northeast then? And let's go and listen to PJ and Duncan. Let's get ready to rumble. Let's get ready to rumble. Let's get ready, ready, let's get ready, ready, let's get ready to rumble. Watch us wreck the mic, watch us wreck the mic, watch us wreck the mic. Psych. Let's get
The following day we headed off towards the town of Amble to see what was there. It's a little seaside town. And from there we went on to Warwick Castle. The castle was the stronghold of the Percy family, famously linked to Henry Hotspur, the bane of the Scottish raiders. The castle offers spectacular views of the surrounding coast and after a wander round the ruined castle, we headed off to Annick with a quick stop for some Morwick ice cream, which was absolutely delicious. At Annick, we visited Barter Books, the largest second-hand bookshop in Britain. Inside an old train station, thousands of books are housed and you can easily while away hours there, especially if it's raining. The following day, though, the rain cleared away and blue skies were back out as we went swimming and then headed to Northumberlandia, an old surface mine now returned to the community as an ecological park to encourage plant and insect diversity. There is a land sculpture there called the Lady of the North. The day we were there, there was a craft fair being held, so we sampled some of the local produce and bought some delicious treats for later on. But we stopped in Blythe for a walk around the blowy promenade and admired the pillboxes of the home guard and of the beach huts and watch some local surfers give it a go. However, all too soon, our holiday comes to an end, and on the drive home, we stopped at Bamborough Castle, an impressive stronghold which had been renovated. The castle of some description has been there since millennia. Indeed, Bamborough stands for Babenberg and Uthra's birthplace in the last kingdom. It makes sense that the locals are proud of their recent television popularity. Look what Game of Thrones tourism has done for Ireland, or Outlander for Scotland. There's an exhibition of The Last Kingdom in the Great Hall and you can even try out The Throne of Wessex. I have long been a fan of Annie Lennox. She's certainly my sister from another mother, if you like, because we both share a Christmas Day birthday. So I was so pleased when I got the chance to speak to her daughter, Lola Lennox, all about her new EP, The Dreamer. And talking to her was just a great delight. Here is the interview that I did with Lola. Now joining me on the line is Lola Lennox. Hello, Lola. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Thank you so much for agreeing to do this for me. So, Lola, I was explaining to the listeners that you've got a brand new EP out called Dreamer. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about how you got started in singing and music. I mean, since I was really young, I always felt music so strongly I just loved it so much when I was like seven um I went to the music department of my school and asked if I could start having singing lessons and I was in choirs and uh competitions and grades and stuff I really emerged myself in it and I thought you know as an adult if I could make this my life that would be just an absolute dream come true so when I was like 16 I started writing my own music and Yes, I feel um, very happy that I get to do the thing I love. Excellent. And of course, having your mum being Annie, of course, I imagine there was a bit of maybe extra pressure on yourself. Yeah, I'd say in the beginning, I definitely felt like pressure to make music that had a, was, was good enough. Um, I felt a little like insecure in the beginning because, you know, you haven't been able to earn your stripes and kind of get the experience. So... I think that made me actually work harder so that I pushed myself to try and make something that I thought was, you know, worthy of having a place in, in the industry and of being heard. Um, but, you know, it, it has its pros and its cons. 
I'm sure it does. I, I think we, you, you see that as well. It's not just, you know, in the world of music. I'm sure you, in the world of sport, I'm thinking of the two Schmeichels, you know, Casper and Peter Schmeichel, both goalkeepers, both playing in Premier League clubs. And you're thinking it must be so much harder when you're coming in the shadow of somebody. Yeah, I always just try to let the music lead me. Like, I always go back to making a song that I think, wow, this feels like a, something that people will enjoy and connect to. So, you know, I hope when people hear the music, they, they hear it as for the music for itself and enjoy the all the kind of worlds that I've tried to create and the sounds and the emotions that I'm trying to express through my voice. So I always just go back to the kind of trying to work hard and, and pull the best out of myself if I can. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about the EP Dreamers because some of the tracks we'll have heard before and I'd be played wherever you go a little bit earlier which is one of the tracks on the EP. So how did it come about and why were those songs the songs that you picked? Yeah, so the EP has a combination of some previously released songs and also some new ones. Um, it's been really nice to share like more of a collection of, of songs because it just gives a much broader sense of, of my world rather than just like the, the singles. Um, and I wanted to call the, the EP Dreamer. Well, firstly, the single's called Dreamer, but I thought the word was actually a really good way of summarizing all of the music that is on the EP because, you know, every song I've written has started out from a little dream, like a small whisper or something that I feel that I want to express. I think... Everything starts with an idea, um, so the word kind of shows the the path that I've been on making music and and having dreams for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what's it been like then working with your mum? And it's your your partner as well, who's also the producer on the album as well. Is that right? Yeah. So, in the beginning of the pandemic. Um, I had all this music that I wanted to release and I was like, how am I going to do this? You know, everyone was distant. So we had like a little studio in my apartment um, and we were like, should we just get together and make some songs and see what happens? And, um, you know, it, was, it clicked really, really well. Like we all have had so much fun in the studio together producing the songs. And it's nice to get to see the creative sides of them both and kind of like deepen our relationship by being creative together. Mm-hmm. And what's next for the EP? Are you hoping to go on tour? Yeah, so I'm I'm really looking forward to playing the songs live. It's kind of surreal that I haven't really been able to for obvious reasons in the last few years. Um, but I I can't wait to like get in the room and sing them with a with an audience more. Um, I don't have any dates set in stone just yet, but I definitely intend to doing that. And of course, you'll have to come to Scotland because, of course, you'll get a fantastic reception here. Oh, I'd absolutely love it. You know, I really miss Scotland. It's been too long that I haven't been, and I would, I would really love to go and play there and also just have some fun. That's great. Thank you, and thank you so much for joining us. So, do you want to introduce your track? This is Dreamer. Sure. I'm Lola Lennox, and you're listening to my new single, Dreamer. I used to sit around and dream about my life and how I turn out All the empty pages, the future looked so bright I didn't know then what I do now Cause I've been searching up a mountain since then Trying to find myself This time I wanna do it 
Lunchtime on Cam Glen Radio with Cat Gibson.
So there you heard from Lola Lennox with her Wherever You Go and then you heard from Annie Lennox with Walking on Broken Glass. Wasn't that just incredible to hear? You're listening to Cat Gibson right here on Cam Glen Radio and this is some of my best bits from this year's Cat's Cream. I was definitely going back in time to relive my youth when I went to see Matt Goss and the Matt Goss Experience. This is Matt Goss of Bros fame with his big band and they came to the concert hall in April time. He tells stories about his career and his time with the boy band Bros and his 11 years of working in Las Vegas as a residency and his most recent experience of being a contestant in Strictly Come Dancing. So here is Matt Goss singing The Beautiful Unknown. Thinking about making new memories And everything in me Is falling into pavement cracks This stranger's hand that I'm holding I can't explain the connection All I know, all I know It feels like home I can carry the weight of the world on my shoulders But my heart has no protection the silence that we're sharing feels like perfection. So if you listen, you can feel it. Feel my heart beat in your hand. This joy feels good in such a cynical man. So raise a glass to the beautiful unknown. Be prepared to undress your soul. Respect, but I did not hear one word you said. Sitting at the bar, looking in your eyes, your heart is in my head. If only, if only you knew all the plans I've been making. I don't think you'd call me crazy. I'd kiss you right where you stand. The lights go on, it's not polite. Outside this bar, it's getting bright. Gonna walk you home, but I don't wanna let you go. Courage from the Dutch, but not too much. Yeah, we shared some stories. I'm letting go of everything that hurt me before. Raise a glass to the beautiful.
Matt Goss there with the beautiful unknown. The trip to the concert hall was then followed by another one, this time to visit Kai and Nadia with Once Upon a Time. This sort of fairy tale story of their love affair is about the two dancers of Strictly and how they got together. Nadia is a five times world champion dancer and Kai does his level best as the MC, clearly preparing for life after dancing to follow in the footsteps of the likes of Anton Dubeck or even Kevin from Grinsby. The love affair that they have is incredibly just, oh, sumptuous. And the two of them dancing together, it's incredible. So here is two songs from that show. Ed Sheeran's Perfect, followed by Janis Jackson and Rhythm Nation. I found a love for me Darling, just dive right in Follow my lead I found a girl Beautiful and sweet I never knew you were the someone Waiting for me Cause we were just kids when we fell in love Not knowing what it was I will not give
wants to be a cat. You are listening to Cat Scream on Cam Glen Radio 107.9 FM. Your voice, your music, your station. Because everything else is obsolete.
sometimes when you're least expecting it in life, there are just beautiful moments that catch you off guard. One such occasion was while I coming home from work, underneath the bridge at Central Station. This is a haunt for many buskers, but this one particular busker blew everybody away that particular day. He started singing Tennessee Whiskey, the Chris Tapleton song, and it sounded absolutely amazing with the echo underneath the bridge. Quite often you do see the buskers perform, but very rarely do people actually stop traffic.
are listening to Cat Gibson right here on Cam Glen Radio and here are some of my best bits. Another jaw-droppingly great night was at the Cotiers Theatre when we were going to listen to the Mick Commitments. This is Scotland's answer to the commitments that were made famous by the film. They blasted out the hits from the soul sound of the 1960s with the likes of Rescue Me and Mustang Sally of course. But it was also a chance to meet up with some friends that I knew from school and rekindle some of our friendships. Imagine doing that in a very old church with the sunlight coming through the stained glass windows and actual sunshine still coming through the glass. Incredible. I can't quite believe how lucky I am to get to do this as part of my hobby, if you like. Getting to chat to all these different artists, writers community groups, getting to feel part of the local community, getting out and about, exploring and listening to new music. It's just an incredible privilege. May also sees Eurovision and this year it was held in the UK. Regular listeners will know that I'm a massive fan of Eurovision. I absolutely adore it. The UK never seems to take it to heart the way that the rest of Europe does. It is watched by more than 190 million people. That's more than would watch the, the final of the Super Bowl. It's a huge event that includes countries out with Europe. It was shown in America, although they've not yet participated. But we've got the likes of Israel and Australia both competing in the actual contest. The UK hasn't won it in a number of years, but Sam Ryder did so well the year before with Spaceman coming second, hence the reason that we got the chance to host it on behalf of Ukraine, who couldn't host it due to the invasion of their country by Russia. The outright winner this year was, of course, Lorraine from Sweden. This is the second time that she has won with Tattoo. So we are off to Sweden next year, and it's so apt because it's 50 years since ABBA won with Waterloo. So why don't we just go back in time and listen to Abba's Waterloo.
am a massive reader and adore reading books. So it's always a great joy when I get handed a brand new book to read. I've been lucky enough to interview the likes of Sally Magnuson and Peter Scholes all about their books as part of iWrite's book festival. Sally Magnuson has written a brand new book called Music of the Dark and she is an experienced broadcaster, presenter, author, a caregiver for somebody that had dementia. The book that she has written about her mother is just incredible. So it was a real joy to get to talk to Sally and here is some of the interview that I did with Sally Magnuson. Tell me a little bit about how you got into writing and, and how the book came about. I've been writing forever, really. started out as a newspaper reporter. I was on The Scotsman and then the long-defunct Sunday Standard newspaper. So I've always enjoyed uh, putting putting words to, to paper or to, to screen. But when I, children of my own, I was severely constricted in the amount of, of writing that I could actually do because I also had my, my tele job, which I was able to, to sort of keep on as well. And it's only actually as my children have grown up that I've been able to concentrate much more, much more determinedly, really, on the writing side. It was nonfiction for a long time. Then I wrote in 2014, was published a book called Where Memories Go, which is about mm-hmm. my mother's dementia. And that was nonfiction, but it was with a new publisher who was so delighted with the way that book had gone. She wanted me to do another book um, about something else that interested me quite soon after. And I found myself telling her about Icelandic uh, hostages who'd been taken in, uh, prisoner in, in the 17th century in Iceland, taken back to Algiers, sold into slavery. And she said, oh, you've got to write about that, Sally. And I realised I couldn't do that as non-fiction because I didn't have the time to spend in libraries in Istanbul. You know, So I wrote it as, as, uh, as fiction, historical fiction based on fact, authentically researched, but with fictional characters that I had to learn the new novelistic craft of imbuing with life and and personality and and griefs and and thoughts and and, and all that sort of thing. And following that, which which also did quite well as a debut novel, I wrote The Ninth Child, which was about the Loch Catrin waterworks and its building in the 19th century and the the clean water from the highlands that was being sent down to Glasgow to stop the next cholera epidemic because of the the diseased water that they'd been having for so long. And this one, this one is about the Highland Clearances, but looking at the role of women in the Highland Clearances in terms of their ability and their common tendency to get together in each township and try and stop the delivery of eviction notices, which led to a huge battle between women and the police in mm-hmm. up in Strathcarran near Tain in 1854. And 30 years after that, my uh, action takes place with a woman who was caught up in all that and now finds herself in Rutherglen uh-huh. because that is also where my great-grandmother ended up after she was evicted from the Highlands, a different part of the Highlands in, uh-huh. in the mid-19th uh, century. Yeah. So that's answer. <laughs> Bab, no, that, that's a great summary of how you, you came into being. The book itself, you're saying Rutherglen is part of it. It's obviously set in Rutherglen. It's talking about people who have come down from the Highlands, of which my mum, as I said, was a teacher, but she came from Lewis and she left her home. She said she left home when she was 13 to go to the Nicholson Institute in Stornoway. And then she came down to Jordan Hill and 
she really didn't go back home again after that, except for summer holidays, because her life was based either in Stornoway when she was in high school and then in Jordan Hill. So I'm sure it's a story that, that's told right throughout the Highlands, really, of the fact that many of these people had to leave their, their communities to find work elsewhere. They did. And many, many of them, as as the other main character in, in my book does, many of them had to go right abroad. And that's that's how America came to be so populated with, with Highlanders. And, and, and also it happened to the Irish as well. But those who couldn't, either couldn't afford to to go abroad or just, you know, didn't, it just didn't suit their circumstances because they were too old or frail or women alone or whatever it might be. They had to seek work in the in the cities. And the cities at the time that I'm writing about were cesspits if you were poor. I mean, they, it was the, the tenements in Glasgow were hotbeds of, of disease and squalor. They, they really were. And my character, Jamesina Ross, who's who's based on my, my great-grandmother at this stage, she is looking for somewhere where she can afford to live, but will give her more fresh air and more space for her remaining son to mm. have a chance of living. Because TB was the, was the great illness at that time that was just uh, slaying families and, and children. And, you know, the, the conditions in the worst of the tenements just made that worse. And what Rutherglen provided at that time, Rutherglen having been older than Glasgow in the first place, um, starting out as the great trading centre on the Clyde in, in medieval times, Rutherglen had been for all sorts of reasons overtaken by Glasgow and had become much more of a, of a backwater, which meant that industrialization happened slower in Rutherglen. It happened and there were, the, the, you know, there was soon a chemical factory and there were boatyards and so on, but it was happening at a slower rate. And so Rutherglen was much more countrified. Mm -hmm. And even when I was growing up there in the mid 20th century, it was, you know, there were, there were still green fields. Canbraes was just up the road and it still felt much more countrified than Glasgow. And that's what my Great grandmother had been looking for when she moved with her with her uh, really one surviving son who was a fifteen year old boy called Archie as he as he is in the book who she was trying to kind of save from TB and her older son John was my grandfather and he had he had left by that time to get married. Wow, yeah, and, and like you were saying, it's interesting to talk about Rutherglen being slightly outside of Glasgow and and sort of more in the slightly greener, shall we say, than maybe Glasgow itself was at that point, because of course Cathkin Brays was one of these places where people would go and take in the fresh air and things like that. And Dutchmont Hill that I, I've been reading about in Hugh Robertson's rambles around Glasgow. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, I didn't actually realise that that was a place that people went for a day trip sort of thing. Hugh Robertson's um his book was very useful to me when I was when I was kind of researching that period to try and get get a feel for for what it was like then. And my my mother always said about her father, my grandfather, who I never actually knew, but she said rigorously and religiously every Sunday, which was his only day off, it was the same for everybody then, they walked to Cathkinbrae's yeah. because and she said she didn't realize till she was older how much it mattered to him to be out in the fresh air because his 
siblings and his father had died of TB and he was so determined that his children would not succumb. Mm -hmm. The way of doing it was to get as much fresh air as they could. As possible, yeah, that's it. And this was sort of the start of the the idea that you got a day of rest, that you used that to, to Im improve yourself either by reading or by taking an exercise, doing something more different from your normal you can't say nine to five because of course it wasn't nine to five they were working much longer shifts than the yeah. nine to five then but you know different from their day job yeah absolutely yourself you wear many hats you know you're you're a presenter you work in the news you do songs of praise things like that of all of the hats that you wear which is your favorite do you think that's such an interesting question it would be hard I'd be hard put to it to to answer in terms of favourites, because what I have always relished and relished to this day is doing different things. So I wouldn't have lasted so long, I think, in television if I had done it all the time. I, I just mean lasted in terms of had my zeal for it, mm -hmm. because what I've enjoyed is is I, I do two days a week in Reporting Scotland, and that gives me time to do other things. If I had been writing exclusively all the time, I would probably have got bored of my own company and wanted to 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 be part of a team and part of be a journalist, which is a, a very different kind of lifestyle from the solitary. Go down to a shed in the garden and, and think, you know, great thoughts for your book. So it's been the combination. And in earlier years, it was my children. I've got five of them. And so, so there was a, you know, quite a lengthy period of my life where that was my main job. But for that to be uh, <laughs> possible while keeping a brain, I needed to work as well. So I needed to either have a, a little book on the go that I could do in my spare time or be keeping my hand in with the news. So mm -hmm. at this stage of my life, I feel I'm concentrating more on the writing, mm -hmm. but, you know, really enjoying the fact that like today I can, I can spend, I can spend a time talking to you about books and then I can go to the news and, you know, see what's on the agenda today and get my mm. mind right that and the, and the presentation skills required and, and be doing it all together. Mm -hmm. And it was just interestingly, because I was speaking to Joy Dunlop not so very long ago, who's got a brand new album out, Cure, and I was just thinking, does everybody in the newsroom have a second secret talent or a secret <laughs> sideline that you've all got? Because Judith, of course, was a, an opera singer. Yeah. John Mackay on STV, he plays the bagpipes. I'm thinking... These all have a secret side hustle or something else that you have to do in a, in a relation to the news. Yeah, no, that's 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 very interesting. Um, thinking about it that way, I think the more, I think the more sides you have to yourself and the more interests you have, the more you can bring a, a certain kind of wisdom and detachment to the news. Actually, because it never it never does to be to be too much in the bubble. You know, I think mm. it's I think it's good to have to have interests outside. And in terms of like your creative outlet, do you think that helps when you're dealing with the news? Particularly, I'm thinking about some of the harder stories that you've maybe had to report on over the years, like Lockerbie and, and Dumblain, things like that, that would have had massive amounts of news coverage, but, you know, can maybe affect you personally. Because if you're constantly reporting that sort of information, how that having a, a different world to escape to might might improve things for you yeah possibly so um i mean it's no different in a way and, and probably easier in a way than than being a a nurse or a doctor or you know the emergency services who are who are dealing with trauma 
you know day in day out and you're you're trained for the you're trained for the hard stuff and you go into a certain kind of autopilot mode um i remember when jill dando the television presenter oh, yeah. jill dando was murdered and she was a very close friend but i had to talk about her in the news that oh evening gosh. as if she wasn't and i wondered how i would get on and but but actually that part of you that just says you know, this is the news. It's got nothing to do with me, uh, my my thoughts or my feelings. So just as that helps, I think that instinct helps to keep us politically impartial, to be able to move from subject to subject and from uh, political position to political position. When you're doing an interview, you're always sort of taking the other the other side of it, and that's because you you learn how to just keep your own thoughts and feelings out of it. I think that comes into play as well when you are reporting on awful things Mm -hmm. you have to you have to step back I mean it's not always easy and it's you know it's not always possible but but um it's it's what many other people have to do in their in their jobs as well Mm -hmm. that's great and of course you're coming to Rutherglen to talk in our town hall on the 9th of May 9th of May yeah. Yes, and uh, everybody's welcome. If there's if there's space, uh, do come along. Um, we're having a. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about the book, um, and then there should be some some singing and dancing. I haven't organised it. My publishers have very <laughs> kindly organised it, so I, I'll be as um, interested as anybody else to see what we do. But we're hoping to have just a bit of a a keely and mm-hmm. uh, and and some fun and um, celebrate. Uh, celebrate Rutherglen, actually. Uh-huh. I mean, I because your mum, your mum was from Rutherglen. Your mum was yeah. at Rutherglen Academy, wasn't it? Yes, absolutely. I mean, from the from the time that my great grandmother came to Glasgow, that time that I was describing to you. Uh, so her son, John, he married and had his family in Rutherglen, and then one of his family was my mother, and she got married and uh, had her family in Rutherglen. So I that's that's why I grew up there as well, and I have extremely happy memories of of um, my life. I was at Calderwood Primary, whisked off to a private school in Glasgow before I managed to get to the secondary school. But as you say, my mother was at Rutherglen Academy. Yeah, and, uh, I was involved in the reunion for them a few years ago, which is how I knew that your mom was part uh, of that yeah. school. And of course, talked about the ballad club that so famous that that the Scottish folk industry seemed to have been at this ballad school as part of it. Well, I hope you'll come along, Kat. Will you come along to the... On on Tuesday, yes. Excellent. And, of course, you're going to be part of I Write. What's it like being back at these in-person events when you get to speak to people who who, are you pleased to be back talking to people face to face, or would you rather do it over no, the screen? No, I'm I, no, I, I, I'm not a fan of Zoom. Um, I think, like all of us, I got very tired of it by the end of the pandemic. I'm delighted that these festivals are coming back. Scotland has some wonderful book festivals, of which I, I write as one, and it's been hard for them to to keep going through these times where we couldn't actually meet in the flesh. But they're 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 coming back with enormous vigor now. And um, I'm delighted to be to be talking about my book. I mean, I, I often am at book festivals, even when I haven't got a book myself. I, mm-hmm. I do interviews for for other authors, because I think the the celebration of of literature, of of books, of ideas, and the meeting of other people who share that enthusiasm is is just great. 
Excellent. That's great. Thank you. And thank you so much again for your time, Sally. I do appreciate that. There's a stirring in the deep into the waters And I'm summoning the spirits of my ghost So it overflows It overflows It's a thundering kind of overwhelming fire Of the voices saying run into the storm So here I go My bones are awakening, awakening Whatever is taking me, taking me You keep on shaking me, shaking me, shaking me Oh, my heart is awakening, awakening My tongue is awakening, awakening Whatever is taking me, taking me Oh, you keep on shaking me, shaking me It's not a pretty one to find But if it makes me whole Let it grieve my soul
There's a stirring in the deep into the waters And I'm summoning the spirits of my ghost So it overflows It overflows One of my absolute favourite artists is of course Dolly Parton I cannot tell you how pleased I was when she was inaugurated into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Dolly herself was initially very reluctant to accept the award. In much the same way as she's knocked back the Presidential Medal three times, she didn't want to upset her fans. She's always regarded herself as a country musician as opposed to rock and roll. But she grew up listening to Little Richard and of course Elvis was desperate to sing I Will Always Love You. But because she wouldn't give him the recording rights... He never got that chance. Dolly, however, has gone on, as I said, to create a brand new album that's coming out in November called Rockstar. And I can't wait to hear it. But here is Dolly singing World on Fire, which is just great. A lot more political sounding than I've ever heard Dolly sound before.
What you gonna do when it all burns down? The incredible Dolly Parton there with her world on fire and Rockstar comes out in November, which I cannot wait for. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this wander down some of the best bits of Cat Scream. This is Cat Gibson signing off and I will see you all very, very soon. Radio is an amazing medium. It can inspire, entertain, inform and connect people. This station, Cam Glen Radio, is run by a dedicated, passionate and committed team of volunteers and you can be one of those volunteers too. It doesn't matter if you're an experienced broadcaster or if you've never set foot in a studio in your life. We provide all the training and support that you need to do what you want to do. And it's a great way of making new social connections, learning new skills, expanding on your CV and just having loads of fun. So to find out more about volunteering with Cam Glen Radio, just email volunteering at healthynhappy.org.uk. It's Wellbeing Wednesday at Healthy and Happy. When you start to work on your well-being, you'll notice all sorts of changes to your mood, your health and your energy levels. How can you improve your well-being? Get in touch with a friend, do something you're good at, find a way to relax or simply go out for a walk. To find out about activities that will improve your well-being, why not call the Transforming Lives team on 0141 646 0123 or visit our website on healthyandhappy.org.uk.
From Farm Cross to Fern Hill. From High Cross Hill to Halfway. And across the southeast of Glasgow. This is Cam Glen Radio. 107.9 FM. Your local station. after your teeth and gums. Brush your teeth um, every every time you wake up and at bedtime. Make sure you get like everywhere around your mouth, even the back of your teeth. If you kind of don't, then you'll have them fall out. If you don't look after your teeth, you'll get black and brown. 
To help keep your teeth and gums healthy, visit the dentist regularly. To register with a dentist, simply telephone or visit a practice in your area and ask if you can register with them. You can find a dentist near you using the NHS Inform Service Directory. If you have an event or activity happening in Camberslang and Rutherland, let us know. What's on at camglenradio.org. Artists or band and want to get your music heard? Send us your music and it'll be considered for our daytime playlist. You might even be asked to come into a live set. Send your demos to promo at camglenradio.org. Mama 
infallible beliefs While I'm sucking it to you Performing in Spanish on Italian TV Sometime in the future Whilst wondering if your mother Still ever thinks of me Hallelujah Lent against gallery walls Flowing towards Sculptures of anything goes On the marble stairs Is that fake sense of longing Kind of trying to cause a scene Yes, I'm talking to you now Puncturing your bubble of relatability With your horrible new sound Baby, those mixed messages Ain't what they used to be When you said them out loud Blank canvases Lent against gallery walls flowing towards sculptures of anything goes on the marble stage 